Let's dive into the word and let's talk this morning. One thing I can promise you about today is if nobody was here but me, this was still powerful because I, this has been one God has punched me in the throat with. And I, I know this this passage. Uh, there's actually a great book on it. I'll mention that in a minute. I mean, I've studied it, but this particular week, the past couple of weeks, this one's been good for me. So uh, I'm not saying it's not helpful for you, but I'm saying that God started this one with me. So Mark is where we are in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 9, second book of the New Testament. So if you're looking at the Bible, you go to, far to the back. Um, and it's gonna, when you get to the New Testament, it's going to be the second book. Um, I'm not going to recount the story of God. We've been following it along. I will at some point. But right now, we've kind of settled in this time of Christ, who is the one that was promised to Eve way back in the garden. And um, if you want to know that story, the cool thing is your Bible has it. So all we've done is we've followed the word of God and followed that story. And now we're at the time of Christ. And and that's where we've been talking for a while, and we'll continue to do that. So in Mark, in chapter 9, we come to this story. And the title this week is, I Believe, Help My Unbelief. That's just a direct quote from the word, but it's a powerful quote. And it's one that's been in my head for a few years uh, Santana already read it, but we'll come back and look at it in a second. But do you ever struggle with faith? I mean, I feel like that's a dumb question. We all want to say, yes, we do. But do you really, like, do you find yourself doubt something and then turn around and maybe feel guilty about it? Like, I shouldn't be doubting, but I do. Um, what, what does it mean to say, I believe? Like, what does that really mean when you say it? I'm not talking about Webster's definition. What does it really mean when you say, can faith cause something to happen? That's another common belief, and maybe it can, maybe it can. We'll lay into that too, but can it cause something to happen? Like, how about sickness or depression or failure or bitterness or angry? Can faith cause that to go away or or be healed? Faith can definitely cause change there's there's no doubt about that but faith itself is not a power so you got to take that out of your head that's where the struggle comes from faith itself is not like some power it's evidence it's evidence of a relationship you have think about it like that and the better your faith is the more evident that your relationship is there that's that's the way it works. So here's the point to remember. It's on the sheets back there if you grab one. If not, it's up here on the board. I'm going to start putting it up where you can read it. This is not scripture. This is just me giving you a point to remember. Sometimes sorrow, sickness, and defeat can weaken our faith. But Jesus is ready to make the impossible possible when we decide to seek him in prayer. So if you wanted me to summarize this passage in a bite-sized chunk, that's it. Sometimes sorrow, sickness, and defeat can weaken our faith, but Jesus is ready to make the impossible possible when we decide to seek him in prayer. So context of where we're at in this chapter, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up on a mountaintop. They have this wild experience. You can read it in your own time. I'm not going over that. Uh, it's right before this passage. And then the other nine are left below at the foot of the mountain waiting on them to return and drama, <laughs> drama finds them. All right. So let's pick it up in verse 14, Mark nine, verse 14. 
It says when the three, when the three disciples and Jesus, when they come back to the disciples at the foot of the mountain, they come down. They saw a great crowd around them and the scribes, religious leaders, arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. That just means like distressed or alarmed. They're like worked up. And they ran up to Jesus and they greeted him. And he asked them, the crowd, what are you arguing with them, the disciples, about? And someone from the crowd answered and said, teacher, that's the, that's the Greek word for teacher, but there surely was the Hebrew word rabbi when he said it. So it is a... It's not a it's not a slanderous term. It's not a it's not a not a random term. He's given Jesus some respect here as a rabbi and saying, I brought my son to you to you. See that he brought him looking for Jesus, for he has a spirit that makes him mute whenever it seizes him. It throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able uh, I'm not going to go back over demons here for the most part, all right? We talked about that last week. If you want to watch, this is why the video is there. You want to see it, go back and watch it if you missed it. Literally was called demons. That was the whole focus of last week. So I'm not going to focus on that this week as much as what's going on here. So what's the argument about at the moment? The disciples can't cast this demon out, right? But really, the scribes are arguing with Jesus, and Jesus is not even present. Your disciples couldn't do it. Your disciples couldn't do it. Clearly, the scribes have incited this crowd. Maybe they may even have brought the crowd there with them. I don't know. But they got the crowd fired up. Remember, this is after, you don't have to turn back to it, but Mark chapter 6, a few chapters before in verse 7, Jesus called the 12 disciples, and he began to send them out two by two. So he sent them on a little mini mission trip. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. In verse 13, same chapter, it says they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So they'd already been doing this, and now they come to this guy, and they can't. Stop. What doesn't work, I guess. Maybe this is a setup from the scribes. It doesn't say that, but maybe. It almost reads like that, because you've got to understand, the Pharisees had cast demons out, too. There was a process of doing this uh, whereby you would call on the possessed person. You would call upon the demon to identify itself. Give me your name. Like last week, it talked about Legion and said, my name is Legion. When Jesus asked, who are you? So you would call upon the demon, ask its name, gain its name. And then you would call upon a higher power, higher authority, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever, by name, to cast it out by name. So, ironically, or not so ironically, maybe, this spirit is mute. It makes the boy unable to speak. So it can't communicate. In fact, Jesus, you'll see here in a bit, Jesus says mute and deaf. So this, this spirit has locked itself in this boy in such a way that he, can't, he doesn't communicate. So the traditional way to cast it out is not an option here. Not an option here. And maybe the disciples feel like it's impossible before they even try. How are we supposed to do that? Like he can't even communicate. We can't even talk to the thing. How are we supposed to command it to come out? It makes the boy deaf. I know this sounds funny, but, but just imagine where they are feeling the weight of this. Like, what are we supposed to do? And the crowd is probably getting all worked up by the, by the 
scribes are saying, see, I told you. I told you. They're frauds. And then Jesus shows up, who's the one they really came to see in the first place. Jesus shows up, and the crowd goes bananas. Okay, now let's see what happens. Now he's here. Okay, great. Now he's here. Let's see what he can do. Remember, this is kind of a showdown a little bit here between the scribes who have likely brought this, maybe have brought this kid there or told the father, hey, you should bring your son over here to see Jesus, you know. Or maybe the father genuinely did and the scribes in the crowd followed. But either way, the scribes have started this argument with accusations and stuff against these uh, disciples who aren't. So, so far, they're winning. And Jesus shows up. Verse 19. And Jesus says, Faithless generation. Now look what he says. This is cool. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. To be and to bear. He says Jesus is sorrowful and also frustrated. And he's God and he's being doubted by his own people here. This is not like a prophet in the Old Testament that was frustrated because the people were not believing in God. This is God. And they're not, they're not believing in him. He, he's not disappointed, too. Look at that. He's not disappointed at just his disciples. In fact, he's not even speaking directly to his disciples. He answered, them is the crowd. He's talking to the disciples and the dad and the scribes. He's saying it's that whole generation. You see that faithless generation? Like all of you. I wonder what Jesus would say about our generation. You know what I'm saying? I wonder what he would say about our generation. And I'm not taking shots at leaders here. I'm talking about me. You, personally, what do you think he would say to you? Do you invite him to be with you or does he bear with you? That's what I've been asking myself this week. Like, am I inviting Christ to be with me or is he just bearing with me? As we go through whatever the days bring. Look at verse 20. And they brought the boy. It was probably a teenager boy. And that, that word boy can be a broad word up to, up to someone up in their 20s really. Um, so he's probably a teen because he, he speaks about his childhood here in a second. So uh, they bring this boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Jesus, when the spirit in, in the boy sees Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, again, from childhood. So when this demon sees Jesus, he, he attacks the boy immediately. It's like a display of power. I've, this is mine. I have complete control of this boy and this body. It's probably also to scare and intimidate. This is probably a frightening thing to see to some degree. But Jesus is not even remotely intimidated. He has no fear. He very calmly responds with, how long has this been going on? How long has this been going on? Now, I don't think he stands there and just observes the, the, the boy suffering all over the ground. I think this happens pretty quick. He probably even bends down towards the boy and says, how long has this been going on? Um, but why does he ask that? As if he doesn't know. It's been a lifetime. That's what the dad is saying here. It's been a lifetime. And Jesus knows that, but he's establishing that this is a stronghold. Like he's like more or less saying, go ahead and tell everybody how difficult this situation is. Go ahead and tell everybody 
uh, how hard this stronghold has been established on your kid. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. We're looking at Mark's account. You can read Matthew and Luke's as well if you want. Um, But Matthew's, the way he begins the wording of it, he mentions seizures and seeking to be healed. And it paints kind of a picture of epilepsy here or some kind of disease like epilepsy. Um, But he still says Jesus cast out a demon. So some like to say that this is just a disease. But all three mention a demon being cast out. So can it be both, though? Can it be a demon causing a disease? Of course. Why couldn't it? Of course it can be. It can be both. Does it mean, though, that all epilepsy is a demon? No. There's no reason to jump from one extreme all the way over to the other because you have a, a situation where it's causing something like that or that. Doesn't mean you've got to jump all the way over and say everybody who struggles with epilepsy suddenly has demons. Um, but remember, the focus here in this moment is not on demons or diseases. It's on faith. The issue here is about faith. How often does science challenge our faith? Now, I'm not talking about, think, think about all the lies science tells you, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying, although that's true in a lot of ways. I'm talking about you personally. I'm saying you personally, how often does science present an argument that causes you to at least take a step back and be like, huh, or make you wonder even for a second? Or logic provides a reasonable explanation and you get struggling to go there and accept it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that, that makes good sense. I mean, that, that's, that surely that's what's going on. The question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? But the opposite is true, too. We, we can try to force spiritual battles into something that is not a spirit. You know, we can try to take our misguided beliefs... And force them onto every situation that's out there. And it, there's a both and here. So it's not just about faith then. It's not just about faith like it's a power. Where do I put my power over here? Or do I put my power over here? Do I trust this? Do I trust that? You're not trusting any of that. You're trusting a person. It's a, it's a person. All faith should be tied to one person. Knowing him. Relationally. I walk with him. I talk with him. That would be prayer, right? I communicate with him. I hear from him. Do you hear his voice speak? I don't know. Maybe. Most people probably would say no. But you, you feel his leader, his leading. You feel his guiding. You feel his comfort. You, you feel his presence. And people may say, oh, that's all in your mind. Well, what do you believe? Uh, look at verse 22. And it has often, this demon has often cast him into the fire. So it's been, been this way since childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. So this thing has been trying, this demon is not just suffering. It's trying to kill him. And has been trying since he was a kid. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I like the way Santana read it. She got it right. If you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father cried, father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
man, the honesty of that phrase. I do have faith, but I'm struggling real hard right now. Help. Key words here is help me. Help me. I do have faith, but but I'm struggling. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you ever really been there where I'm not saying like you feel like your faith is tested? I'm talking about you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, okay, I believe in all this, but I am really having a hard time with it right now and I need help. I don't need everything fixed. I just need help to believe, keep believing. I just need help to keep believing. I mentioned it before, but there's a great book. You can read it in your own time called God in the Dark. Obviously, you can read it in your own time. We're not going to read a whole book here. <laughs> uh, a book called uh, God in the Dark. It's by Oz, a guy named Oz Guinness. And it's on this topic. It's really, really good. Uh, it's kind of weighty, but it's really good. But he makes an argument. There's a difference between disbelief and doubt. So disbelief means it's settled. I do not believe. I disbelieve this. I don't believe it. There is no God. There is no Jesus. Whatever. You have chosen that you will not believe this. Doubt means you take a posture of believing, but you're starting to struggle with it at times. So, so you take a posture of, I believe, but you're starting to struggle. And that's where this guy is. And before we jump on this dad's back, look at the emotion. Don't, don't miss the emotion. Immediately he cried out. Cried like that's a suffering word. Like maybe he's, he's shouting, and, but, but, but maybe he's literally in tears. I think he is. The way it reads, it's like he is. There's a desperation here. I got no other hope. There's trusting. Even while the doubt's present, he's doubting, but he's still trusting. He's still asking. He's still seeking it from Jesus. He's begging here for a miracle and for help with his faith. For both of those things. What do you think life was like for this dude? This thing is... A disease and a demon, and it's been trying to kill his kid since the childhood. How much sleep do you think they got at night? You're going to wake up tonight and find him drowned? You're going to wake up tonight and he's knocked a candle on himself and lit himself on fire? Like, how much sleep do you think they got? The kid is surely difficult to look at, to be frank. He's probably been burned because oftentimes he's cast him in the fire. He's probably got scars. He's maybe disfigured, let alone from whatever else he's tried to do to himself. I guarantee you, they've been the target of ridicule and slander, especially from the religious people. Because if you were living right, God would never let this happen to your kid. If you were living right, this could never really happen to you. If you weren't a sinner, this wouldn't be happening. I'm sure they were hearing all of that. I guarantee you they weren't able to go out in public very often because of the boy's appearance. I'm sure they probably didn't like being mocked. And ridiculed and slandered and made fun of. Or just what happens if he freaks out? You, you know, you, we go to dinner. We, we go to dinner in a nice restaurant with little kids. And we're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to take my kids there because they're going to scream and yell. What if, he, what if that were to happen? You know what I mean? And notice the father says, if you can help us. He's like totally aligning himself with his son. 
And probably his whole family. He's probably speaking on behalf of his family. Like, can you help our, us? Can you help our family? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe it's not a demon. You know, maybe it's addiction. Maybe you got dark secrets that are heavy. And I don't know what they all are. Maybe sin itself is just burdening you to the point that you feel like isolated. You feel hopeless. You feel desperate. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like there's no real hope. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's somebody you really love and care about. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a dad. I don't know. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you feel a burden for this that way and you feel like you're suffering with them. I believe. Help my unbelief. Look, Jesus healed a lot of people. A lot before this. Why did he put this dad on blast right here, though? You know what I'm saying? Why not just... Why put him on? Why why make this moment? Like why why not just like he consistently healed people? And rarely do you see him demand a confession of faith before they do it before he does it. And yet here he puts his dad on blast. Like if you can, all things are you know. This is an opportunity Jesus has to address faith, to talk about faith. Jesus is always teaching. At all times, especially his disciples, all the time. And this one, in particular, is beautiful because the father is begging for help with his faith, too. You see that? He's like, it's not just about his son, although that's obviously his hurt. But he is begging the only one who has the power to give it to help with his faith. So... Listen, even in his doubt here, he's still showing faith. Do you see that? Even in his doubt, he's still showing faith. He's still displaying in his words that he believes, but he's struggling. Look at verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd uh, came running together, so they've all been scattered, they've all been kind of divided, blah, blah, blah. And in this moment, Jesus Realizes that all eyes are on him. He rebukes the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you. So he called, he recognizes it as mute and deaf. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out, convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of the crowd said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Look at the authority Jesus has here to control the moment, but also to guarantee the future. Did you see what he said? I command you to come out and never come back again. If that demon ever came back, Jesus has no power. I mean, think about that. He had the power to control the moment, to cast evil out of the moment and guarantee it never comes back. Ladies and gentlemen, that is salvation. That's a picture of salvation. That when you turn to Christ and you call on him, he casts evil out of your heart and guarantees it's never coming back again. Guarantees it's never coming back again. 
It can never have you again. Not that you won't struggle. We'll come to that in a second. But it can never have you again. You're new. And the crowds think, oh, it, the end finally come for the boy. Yep, we, one day it was coming. One of these uh, seizures was just going to be too much for him to bear. And looks like this is the one. Um, Jesus, you know, we thought surely he was going to be the one to get it done. The disciples, you know, his disciples couldn't, you know, but we thought surely maybe now that he's here, he can do it. But and maybe the maybe the scribes are leading that too. Told you, like he killed him. Jesus killed the boy, killed him dead. But I love how Jesus responds here. He commanded the demon to get out. He could have commanded the boy to get up, get up. That's how a football coach would have done it. <laughs> get up, you know. But he doesn't. Instead, he gently takes his hand. I think the boy probably takes this deep breath and then leans forward and then slowly with Jesus holding his hand and maybe getting his elbow and his arm lifts him and stands him up. Doesn't care what the crowd's saying. I mean, that's the greatest of compassion. It's like a display of compassion right to the end. It's not just a display of power on Jesus' part here. It's not just this theological exercise that I'm actually God. It's not a training for his disciples alone, anyway. It's not an exorcism and the right way to do it. It's, not a, it's none of that. It's not even a slanderous rebuke of weak faith. At the end of it all, this was a family that was suffering and hurting. And at the end of their rope with hope. And now they're free and healed. Verse 28. And when Jesus had entered the house, so they're not in the middle of nowhere. They're in a town. Uh, and as this, un- as this has unfolded then, some point shortly thereafter, they are in the home. And the disciples asked Jesus privately, why could we not cast it out? Why didn't it work for us? And he said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So we're going to finish up with that verse. But quick footnote, most of your Bibles have a note that there's a footnote there that some manuscripts include fasting uh, as well, like prayer and fasting. So don't let that shake you. That's actually more reason to trust the Bible. Uh, because it's noted for you. It's not hidden. So earlier manuscripts didn't have fasting as listed there. Later manuscripts, fasting got worked into it. So was it, is that the case or is it not? First of all, it's not hidden. They, they put it right there for you to know. There are 5,700 plus original New Testament manuscripts. Think about this a second. Original New Testament manuscripts, handwritten because there was no printing press, Over 5,700 of them. Now, that may not sound like a big, huge number for you, but the next closest thing we have uh, would be some of the philosophers' writings, like Homer and these guys. You're talking about 600 of theirs, maybe, original manuscripts. So for you to talk about 5,700, that is an astronomical number to be able to put your faith that we have it accurately but what's amazing is one or there are a few that may add or take away a word here and there and your bible still tells you that notes just so you have full disclosure 
Out of all 5,700, if there was one word that was not added or whatever, they still tell you. The majority does not have this word, but just so you know that there are some that had this word. And the other thing is it doesn't contradict anything. Adding fasting to the, you know, the thing, uh, prayer and fasting. Oh, don't, don't fast. That'll mess it all up. Really? Come on, man. If it were both, that's great. And some people got to know. I got to know. Is it one or both? I have to know. Is it, is it one or but Why? Why do you have to know? You planning to cast a, uh, a demon of epilepsy out of somebody pretty soon? Feel like you got to have the prescription right? You got to have the magic spell right? Is that, is that, well, then if it comes down to it, then do both. I'll solve it for you. Just do both. God's not going to be mad. You know what I mean? But this moment with the disciples away from the crowd, I honestly don't think Jesus is really coming at them. I don't think this is a rebuking anger tone. Uh, he is correcting them, but they're defeated. They're embarrassed already. I don't think he's coming at them. But the disciples definitely had trusted in their own power. I think there's no doubt in that. I think they got in their own head. They're Jedi, and they're trying to use the Force here. You know what I'm saying? They're like trying to connect to the Force and call this demon out by power or whatever else. And prayer is what Jesus says they're, they're, they needed to use. And prayer, in its most simple form, prayer is either... Taking something to God or personally calling on God to enter a situation. Ultimately, I don't care what it is. It fits into one of those two categories. You're either taking something to God or you're asking God to present himself in a situation or both. Um, And some say, well... You know, these disciples, it's evidence these disciples hadn't been praying regularly, fasting regularly, and Jesus is checking them off and calling them out for it. Maybe. But I think it's a little bit more than that. Maybe he was saying that since this demon doesn't speak, they should have moved to prayer instead. Some say that. Well, they should have been praying because talking to it didn't matter anyway. They couldn't speak. It was deaf in that sense. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think that he's just saying you should have paused and brought God into the moment. That you should have just stopped and and brought God into the moment. Isn't that what we do? We treat prayer like it's a, and I'm, this is where I'm saying I've been guilty this week. Uh, We treat prayer like it's like a, a checklist thing. Or it's a simple little thing we go through really quick before we eat or before we go to bed or what we do. But but if we face a struggle, if we face something really hard, then it's almost like prayer is the last thing we go. When nothing else works, that's where we go. I, I, what I need to do here is I need to speak with more boldness. I need to be stronger. I need to work harder. I need to display my faith more maturely. I need to what like we try everything we can think of. And then we think, well, man, let's just pray, you know. Why is prayer the, the the default last thing? It's not the it's not the previous step. It's the next step. It, it is the next step. It, when you've got to amplify the situation, what Jesus is saying is that's what you go to. 
when you've got to raise the stakes, fight harder, face tougher, that's, that's what you go to. Imagine if these nine disciples had tried to call the demon out or realized it was mute or whatever, whatever and, and no, they can't. What if they all nine got around this child while he's having a seizure, doing whatever or not, put their hands on him, or boy, he's, he's probably a teenager, like I said, put their hands on him? And just started praying with power to God, begging God to do this. Begging God to do this. God alone gets the glory and all that. And that's not magic either. That's inviting God to come take control of this situation. And I want everybody to see that I'm going to do it. Not lightning bolts coming out of their fingers, you know, or like thunderous voices commanding whatever. It's not that kind of thing. It's faith growing in us because we're trusting God more. God, we're expecting you to do this. God, we're expecting you to do this. It, it is powerful, but it also humbles us, right? Like we're, we're handing more and more and more of it to God. God, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. I can't. And clearly, there are specific times when we need to return to prayer and fasting in order to face some battles, like preparation. I think that's more of what he's getting at. It's like preparing for, to equip or to empower our faith to face. Did you notice we talked about it last week? I'm not going back into it this week. But he said this kind only comes out by prayer. Meaning there's something more powerful about this demon. This type of demon. And, and it, look, we can all relate to that. I default to addictions because that was my struggle. Uh, some addictions are way worse than others. And why in the world was it so easy for me to stop doing that, but I cannot quit doing this? Am I saying that's a demon? No, I'm not going to all that. I'm just saying that there are things that require some form of power and equipping and preparation. That have to be addictions. Is it bitter anger? Is it like hopeless depression? I don't know. What, what is it that seems like it is more than you can face? And that might require not stand up and pray and cast it gone. It might mean you need to pray. You need to fast. You need to spend some time strengthening your faith to face whatever it is. And remember... Even Jesus did this. You can go read it in Matthew 5, but when he went to the temptation in the desert to face the, de- the devil himself, he fasted 40 days. 40 days of prayer and fasting with the Lord in the wilderness before he faced the devil. There are times where you need to prepare for what it is that you might face. And remember, here in this story, this dad's belief did not make the demon come out. What made the demon come out? Jesus. Jesus made the demon come out. It was his faith in Jesus' ability. I trust you can do this. Help me believe you. His faith was in Jesus' ability, even though he's struggling to believe. And that's prayer. That's seeking Jesus, even when we're in doubt. Like, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is. I don't know why I can't escape this. I don't know why this is not working out. I don't know why you're not fixing this. I don't know why. I don't understand why this is not working. I don't understand why he's not here. I don't understand why she's not here. I don't understand why he won't behave. I don't understand why she doesn't come home. I don't understand why I can't overcome this. Why am I alone? Whatever it is, 
you're still going back to him with it. You're still going back to him with it. And you're saying, I believe. But help. And this guy didn't just get healing for his kid. He got that help with his faith. And Jesus' disciples needed it too. And so do we. So do we. Yes, it is a fact that we live by faith. That is a fact. And I'm wrapping up here. But we live by faith within our flesh. And our flesh always seeks to do what's best for itself. What feels good, do it. That's the, that's the banner for your flesh you live in. So we live by faith, but within flesh that desires self-satisfaction. Also within a world that wants to feed that. The world is all about what's going to make you happy. Or what you think is going to make your flesh happy anyway. And then, thirdly, we live by faith, but facing a real attack from a real enemy. This was a real demon. And he was causing real problems. Faith is when we live in and display the kingdom of God, even in our flesh and in the world and with the presence of the devil. Say that again. Flesh is when we live in and display the kingdom of God, even among the flesh, the world, and the devil. That's what faith is. John, how can you believe even with all of this going on? As hopeless as this is, Trey, how can you believe? That's, That's faith. And sometimes we need help believing. It's true. You just need to accept it. And prayer is how to find it. Prayer is how to find it. Turning to Jesus and asking him to help our unbelief. Now, I can promise you, if you start praying and asking Jesus to help your unbelief, I can guarantee you, I know some ways he's going to do it. One is he's going to point your face into his word. I know he will. I guarantee you he will. I know that will happen. Two, he'll start making you love things he loves, which is people. You know, I, I can give you some lists of some things. He'll make you desire to worship together. He'll make you want to be discipled and make disciples. I could go on. But those are going to be things that come from prayer. So you don't have to figure it all out. Just start with prayer and let prayer connect it all. You following me? All right, let's stand up and we're going to close this up and uh, finish out. Um, and as I say every week, if you don't mind uh, standing, but also let's close our eyes and take just a few minutes, not to be dramatic or weird, but uh, to focus on what, what we've been talking about and what we've been hearing. Just, just a minute. I'm, they're coming up and setting up their instruments and all. I'm not trying to hide that from you. You can watch it if you want. That's not the point. The point is to focus and think a minute. And the biggest question of all is, do you believe? We've been focusing on help my unbelief, but let's not miss that this man started out with I believe. The biggest question you'll ever answer in your life is do I believe? That's the first step. Jesus said in John, 
I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus alone has the power and authority over life and death? Do you believe that you, although you face death, are not bound by it because of Jesus? Not because of some magic power that your faith possesses, but because of Jesus who your faith is in. Can you admit who you are? Help me. I can't. I can't overcome death. I can't live right. I can't defeat addiction. I can't escape depression. Whatever it is, I cannot stop the anger. Can you believe in who he is? I I, I believe you are who you say you are. I don't know how to explain it, but I believe you are God. I believe you are the creator. I believe you love the whole world. I believe in what you did. You died for the sins of the world, which include mine. And I believe you conquered a grave that I have no hope of conquering. And I know that I'll never do it, but I trust that you did for me. If you can do that, you tell him. And I can guarantee you. Just as he cast that demon out of that boy, he gives you a new heart and nothing will take that from you. Just as he said, never come back again to that demon. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for knowing that you guard our hearts for eternity. And thank you, Jesus, too, that you honestly welcome our doubts. As long as we're coming to you with them, that we can be honest with you. And like this father, we can call on you and say, I believe, help help my unbelief. And we can expect that you're going to respond. Lord, help us trust you more and help us live by that trust. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen.